From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. All right. Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast. This is where we share the best conversations from Indie Week's four online conferences, Indie Week, Indie 101, Screen by Screen, and Music Pro Summit, as well as our Indie Weekly webinars, which are held live and free every Tuesday. So coming up in just a minute, this is one of my favorite conversations from the most recent edition of Screen by Screen, the online music and tech conference. This one is called It's TikTok's Time, Why the App is Shaping Music Careers and Charts. It is obviously a very timely topic. TikTok is the phenomenon that has changed so much, not least of which the music industry over the last couple years. And for this session at Screen by Screen, we had a hell of a panel. The moderator for it, who's the first voice you're going to hear, is uh, Chris Robley from CD Baby. He's one of the co-hosts of CD Baby's DIY Musician podcast, as well as one of the authors of their uh, DIY Musician blog, both of which are fantastic. Highly recommend you check them out. They're great resources for artists. But Chris was talking to Casey Petrie, who uh, runs a company called Crowdsurf, and she is the social media manager for just many, many A-list celebrities and artists going back a number of years. She's worked with everyone from Britney Spears to Guns N' Roses. And also joining Chris and Casey on this panel was Robin Odolini. She's an up-and-coming star in country music here in Canada. And she really had her breakout thanks to TikTok and got signed to the label thanks to TikTok largely. So three really informed and fascinating perspectives here. And the reason I love this conversation is because it doesn't hold anything back. They talk about the importance of TikTok, how artists get, you know, can really take advantage of it and use it to their own advantage, but also the, I guess you could say the downside or some of the risks that are involved in really tying your career to a social media app like TikTok. So anyway, um, really love this conversation. I'm really glad we're sharing it here on the podcast. Again, it was from this year's edition of Screen by Screen. But before we get to this week's conversation, we first have to acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinaabe, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. We must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, the City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlanta, Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work that we do for the music community. So a big, big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, let's get to this week's conversation. Hey, my name is Chris Robley. I work at CD Baby, which, if anyone doesn't know, was the first um, uh, sort of available long tail distributor for independent musicians. Uh, and Trister used the term long tail earlier. And I sort of proudly regard CD Baby uh, as that sort of company because it was founded on the principle that every artist deserves access to the marketplace and to be treated with respect and that their music is valid no matter where they're at in their career. Uh, and so we serve artists who are just starting as well as Grammy winners and people who have legendary careers that get their catalogs back and, and come to us. Um, and, and since I've worked there for 18 years, I've seen a lot of revolutions 
in the music industry. And with hindsight, I now think there are pretty small revolutions, like jumping from CDs to downloads and downloads to streaming. And, you know, as it went on, I'm like, in hindsight, oh, those all seem like a logical progression. It's just sort of technological advancement that makes music more convenient. And then TikTok came out and I was like, what the hell is this? It completely shocked me. It surprised me. I knew about Musical.ly, which TikTok sort of grew out of, um, but I never imagined an app like that would become so dominant in terms of music industry attention, importance to growing a fan base. And so I'm hoping in this discussion, we'll kind of simultaneously address what the hell happened? How, how did this uh, revolution uh, occur? And then also why it's beneficial to artists who are, you know, trying to get people to like their music and, and listen to it. So uh, that's enough of my intro. And I, maybe we can turn it to the guests to say what they're all about. Do you, you want to go first, Robin? Sure. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Robin Ottolini. I'm a singer songwriter. Um, I am from Oxford, Canada. So a little north, but I started using TikTok back in 2020, um, a neighbor. Well, I use TikTok, you know, for entertainment and enjoyment, as many of us did in the pandemic. And my neighbor mentioned that maybe I should post my music on TikTok. I had been an artist for a couple of years. I had two EPs out at the time. So I had tons of music to work with. Um, and I just kind of started posting for fun, um, telling the stories behind the songs, why I wrote them. Um, the effect that, you know, these situations had on me and how I put them into a song and something about it clicked with people and um, a trend began with one of my songs, F-150, and it kind of shot up on streaming platforms and uh, I was very lucky that record labels reached out to me in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, which is where I am now. So I signed with Warner Music Nashville and yeah, I think TikTok is an excellent tool to use for artists, especially independent artists, which is what I was at the time I started. And I'm happy to be here in this discussion about how we can make it work for you. Awesome. And I'll introduce myself. My name is uh, Cassie Petrie, and I'm a co-founder and co-owner of a company called CrowdSurf. We've been in the digital marketing business for over 15 years now. And prior to that, I actually worked in quote unquote new media at uh, Warner Nashville. So we both have Nashville ties, which is it's really, really fun. But at that time in Nashville, I was working in MySpace pages and like Facebook and Twitter were starting to kind of pop up onto the scene. So I've watched a lot of iterations of different social media platforms kind of come and go, sustain, change, evolve, evolve in importance over the years. And uh, it's been really fun to watch, you know, how TikTok has kind of impacted the music business. I mean, really intensely over the past three years, but even since like 2015, 2016 with Musical.ly, I still think it had a pretty large influence and I was begging people to use it then. Um, so, and the people who did use it a lot of good things really uh, happen to them is from being early adopters. So I, I'm always about trying things out early on when everyone else isn't using it. That is the best time to get real estate. But I've been doing the social media thing for a long time. And um, it's in, a lot of them have like sort of interesting, similar like rises and falls and sustain. So I'm excited to talk about TikTok and some of the differences and similarities to past platforms. Yeah. So Cassie, you mentioned MySpace, which reminded me that when I was thinking about this topic, I, 
I saw MySpace and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as like important to, um, important for a music career, but they kind of ran alongside the music. And for some reason with TikTok, I feel like it's the first platform that is mixing the medium of the music and the, I don't know, the promotion of it or on the, in the same place. Yeah. Um, and, and, and not often in full songs. I know you could do a full song, but especially early on, it was very short content. So I'm just curious if, if either of you have thoughts about, um, why that sort of explosion happened and what maybe some of the both benefits and challenges of short form uh, content are in this context. Yeah. I, you know, I, so I'll, I can start. I think that TikTok is kind of a hybrid of social media and in general, like sort of traditional entertainment media. I almost kind of view it as not only competing with like an Instagram, but it also competes with Hulu, Netflix, MTV. I always say that TikTok is the new MTV because yes, you can contribute to it, be social on it, message on it, but it also satisfies the need that many people have of why they watch television or why they use Netflix and Hulu. It, a lot of people use it to relax and watch video and be entertained the same way that they watch television. So I think that's why it has so much power because television has traditionally had a lot of power in promotion in the music business. And I think that this platform taps into that power, whereas the other platforms maybe didn't get to that point over the years. Yeah. And I also want to jump on that back and say, I feel like um, as a consumer of TikTok and as an artist on it, um, it's like the first app where it's music and video connected. Um, and it's not like you're watching a video on YouTube per se, where you can be on your phone and kind of glimpsing at the thing. If you're on TikTok, you're on TikTok. You can't listen to music when you're on TikTok. You can't be on a phone call. So you're so focused on this app and this media um, and you can't go to another source or be distracted. So I think that's why at least engagers or um, users of TikTok are so engaged and the like, and you can find so much success so easily on TikTok is just because they ha they can't look anywhere else if they're using that app. They're there to look at content kind of thing. So that's another way it worked great for content makers. Yeah. Well, Robin, I know you're like really big on authenticity and just trying to be sort of the maximum version of you on TikTok. And that also in terms of like its revolution in the music industry feels like the antithesis of like the 20th century, very like curated manicured presentation of an artist where everything was super tightly controlled. So uh, it's just a vague statement. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on why that works and, and sort of how to, how artists can know if they're sort of finding their, or I guess projecting their authentic selves. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of conversation with yourself. Like, is this me? Is this the morals I reflect? Is this who I want to show people. I mean, at the end of the day, you can be as real as you want on social media, but it is still curated. You are still putting what you want people to see out there. Um, and I try to make a conscious effort to be like, is this who I am? And when people watch my video, will they get to see who I am? I mean, if I'm looking at someone who's not me as an artist, Louis Capaldi is a great example. People love how authentic and him he is. He's just um, if he hits a wrong note, he's so happy to share it. Cause he's like, that's me. I'm going to hit a wrong note. And I think it's funny and I think it's great. And I think sharing the vulnerability and the mistakes and the humanness, um, is a great way to connect with people because yeah, people don't want to see something unattainable anymore. I think they really want to know who you are. And so being your most authentic self and, you know, checking yourself and making sure that's who you're putting out there 
is super important because they might see you in public one day because the world's a small place and we're all humans. And yeah, you want to make sure that who you put on the internet is who you are in real life. So that when people meet you, they're like, yep, that's, that's why I follow this girl. And that's why I enjoy her content because she is who she is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Cassie, I had a question for you kind of on that topic. I know you've worked with some pretty legendary, like well-established artists. And I'm wondering if there was any like pulling of teeth to get them to open up or be more vulnerable uh, or if they were just happy to jump in. Oh, I think everyone, you know, there's a lot of phases of pulling teeth. Um, <laughs> first is the phase of pulling teeth of getting them people to join a new platform. That is like pulling teeth item number one because and TikTok and you know be even before TikTok musically was was tough because a lot of people saw how you know teenagers were using it and they're like that's not authentic to me so they were being authentic to themselves and that they saw something and thought it was the platform and didn't want to use it so I, I do appreciate somebody seeing that and not wanting to mimic you know somebody that you know or mimic a style of content that doesn't feel authentic to them I do appreciate that and I think a lot of the bigger great artists who have a lot of experience and know who they are, like are the ones who are going to say that immediately. The thing I was actually encouraging them more to do is like, don't think about how people are populating this platform, pull back and really think about the, like really simply, what is this platform? And this platform is a tool where you upload videos that are vertical and are under this link. That's all you have to think about. What is your video that goes in that slot. It doesn't have to be like anybody else's. In fact, I would love for it to not be like anybody else's. And a lot of times when I break something down that simply and say, don't think about what you saw on the news or what you saw your friend's kid post or whatever, think about what could you create to fit in this little slot. And when, and I think that that inspires a lot of people to figure out what they, what they want to create. Um, but there, you know, there is, um, I deal with that problem. I, another problem I deal with is, um, artists who I think are actually really good and really talented and they want to make bad content that doesn't make sense to them. Like everyone else, they're chasing a trend. And, and I'm like, that doesn't feel like you, you're chasing numbers. You're not chasing sharing you in it. So yeah, I, I would say those are kind of the problems I sort of deal with in terms of pulling teeth and, trying to help people figure out how they share who, you know, share who they are, you know, on these platforms in a way that, that feels good to them and is, and also is beneficial to their career. Yeah. The, the chasing trends thing is interesting because I think I was pretty cynical and discounted TikTok early on because it seemed like everyone was chasing a limited amount of trends. It was all dance videos or various kinds of challenges. And I said, well, that'll have a short shelf life that people will burn out on this. And then a few years ago, some friends of mine uh, in a group called Winborn started having massive success. And I was like, wait a minute, they make like four part, like Corsican vocal music from hundreds of years ago. How is this massive on TikTok? And then kind of the, the guy in that group who's most responsible for their TikTok efforts was like, no, man, this is just an, an app that has a super powerful algorithm for getting the right content in front of the right people. And if there's a billion users, it's going to find the thousands or million that that's their niche. And I was like, Oh, then I, then I felt really enthusiastic about it, but uh, I'll turn that into kind of a, another open-ended question. The content they made this group Winborn was just basically what they do live. And they just did a few tweaks to the captions and, and things like that to make it educational, to make it 
you know, something the audience wanted to get involved in. So they found what worked. And, and I'm just curious, like, how do you find what works uh, as an individual creator? Yeah, um, I think a lot of it has to do, it's hard, okay, there's trends, obviously. You kind of see what's happening right now. As an artist, I do this. What's happening on or on TikTok right now? And how do I translate it to my music? So uh, kind of what Cassie was saying, it's like, how do we do something different, but also familiar to people? That's what I'm always trying to do. So if, you know, um, back in the day when I had F-150, transformation videos were really um popular so like you'd have no makeup and then you'd move and you would have a full face of makeup that was something that was popping off and i said how could i make this something that people could do and easily grasp onto but have a whole impact on my music and tell the story of my song so i did that i went from a happy lucky girl and then the second the chorus hit my song i would turn and i'd be sad and the reason why i was sad which was an iphone 50 don't date guys with trucks and that was like a way for me to go what's working right now but how can i make it work for me um and still keep it authentic to myself and that was you know the way it goes it told the story of the song it was able for people to get involved and do their own transformations and tell their own stories while also promoting my music so i don't even know what the question was i'm coming right back to it <laughs> uh but yeah that's that's how i answer that question yeah and i you know i really uh, trends aren't necessarily a bad thing trends not are not a bad, bad thing no trends are just bad if you do them only because they're a trend and they don't make sense for you exactly like we get a list uh, you know every week from tiktok and other platforms you know are sharing trending types of content on their platforms now and what we do is we go through it and figure out what makes sense to suggest to artists to use if a mm -hmm. trend is authentic to you it's really great to participate in it if the piece of content is great but you shouldn't do something you should never create content because you feel like you have to you should create it because you want to and it makes sense for you yeah well, speaking of participatory like that, that's another huge thing about this app that's pretty revolutionary for the music industry i feel like where the old model was like guard your recording until the release date and if anyone leaks it you sue the hell out of them and now it's like flipped. It's like, I don't even have a full song. Here's my demo or like, here's the chorus. What should the next lyric be? And this really, um, yeah, inviting people into this like half finished or, or just at the start of the creative process. Um, so I'm curious about like ways in which maybe you've experimented with involving your audience, um, comment sections, duets, stitches, whatever it is, and and why people love being in on that process. Do you want to go for a coffee or I, I could? You can go. Okay. I've always been an artist who makes the music first. I've never actually posted on TikTok and a song gone viral and then I recorded it. Um, I always just use the app as a tool to promote the music that I was already going to put out that I already love. Um, and I think, A, I started that one trend that got people involved, but it's also, um, like you put up a song or you put up a piece of content and you're like, um, I, I'm more trying to tell my story with the TikToks, you know, not so much what do people like? So I'm going to do it. That was something I always tried to avoid when I use this. So yeah, I would already have my songs recorded, what I was going to do. I would share some unreleased songs though, and they go viral and then people want them. And I'm like, darn it. Um, but um, 
yeah i just i i tried to make it so the clip that i chose could be used in a way that people could share their story and get involved you can always ask questions i've loved duetting if people cover my songs i like to duet them and um like harmonize with them and stuff like that and always get people involved i think as an artist a great um challenge that people do is the open verse challenge that i like to participate in and it's where an artist will have like the chorus of their song and then say write your own verse and I think that's a great way to a meet people in the music community and be like, oh crap, you wrote maybe a better verse than I did. <laughs> What's up? And just like get people involved that way. Um, and that's a way if you want to release the music you want, you can you know do challenges like that, or you can post whatever, see what hits, and record it and put it out. And people really love to be involved in that way. And I've seen people crowdfund for people to get singles made so that to like a demo that they heard one time and it was like their big break. So whatever works for you as an artist, I just love to, you know, pick my own songs, no matter if they're viral or not. And I think that's important to, you know, you have to know what you want at the end of the day. And if there's a song mm -hmm. everybody else wants, but you don't feel good about it, you shouldn't release it because whenever you do something because you feel like you have to versus you want to, it's never going to be a good situation. And, yeah. you know, different artists have different comfort levels in how much they do or don't share or participate. And I've seen all different types of versions of it. And I, I think it's really fun and really great and really inspiring to the next generation of artists and, and musicians. The one thing, you know, as you were, you know, talking about earlier is that the the release timeline is kind of different now. I almost feel like so now, I I feel like now the full single is almost kind of like you getting a remix or an extended version. And like my mm. release date, the timeline has sort of shifted a little bit. And it's like my TikTok tease date or clip date is kind of like almost the single release now. And the full song is almost a sustained initiative. It's super bizarre, but it's, I've kind of shifted a lot of marketing rollouts and timelines and in that capacity in terms of how I view each marker in the marketing plan now. It's it's interesting to think about for sure. Yeah. I know um, there's a lot of like uh, best practices out there about posting, posting schedules, consistency. I don't know if either of you have like insider info from TikTok about what their algorithms really care about, but um, I guess I'm curious how like strategic you are in terms of posting schedule, time away from the app, um, consistency of the type of content, any of that sort of stuff. Cassie, do you know the answer? Because I would love to know. I need. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, it's different people at TikTok will give you different answers on that. Yes, they um, do. So that's where it gets kind of confusing. The most common answer I'm getting right now in terms of frequency of posting is between three to five times a week. But again, if you ask different people there, they're going to tell you different things. So, you know, what I sort of just encourage people in general, like whether it's TikTok or other platforms is when you read best practices, don't expect to go from doing zero to best practices in like 30 days. That's like going to a CrossFit gym for the first time and expecting to do the same regimen as somebody who's done it for 10 years. It's just not going to happen. You have to kind of pick 
a couple things to focus on and be like, okay, next month, let's say you've never posted. Next month, I'm going to make sure I post twice. And then maybe the next month you go to four times and then maybe add in like some sort of commenting strategy or response video. But you have to kind of, you have to build your endurance and your ability to create. You're not going to go from zero to best practices overnight. Your your digital marketing strategy is a constant evolution. It's never done it's never perfect and best practices change all the time anyway. So I just tell people to not get in their head about not matches, matching best practices right off the bat, because it's something that even if you have a full team and have been doing it for a long time, it's going to be hard to like perfectly match best practices ever. And a lot of times people, if they're not matching these best practices that are suggested, they get discouraged and give up. And I just want everyone to know that Hardly anybody is in perfect best practice and you just have to try to keep doing better each month than you did the month before. Yeah. And it's also important. Um, like I've been told sometimes that you have to post three times a day. And if I post three times a day, is my content going to be as quality as I want it to be? Is it just going to maybe water stuff down and not be the more important things we were saying, if you're going to put something up there, make sure it's kind of, who you are and your niche. And I think if you put yourself in this box where I have to post three times a day or else I'll fail, you've kind of already failed. You have to approach it as, what do I wanna say? Is it gonna take me a minute to say? Is it gonna take me three videos to say? Either way, as long as it's authentic, then post it. That's what my label always tells me. If, if it feels good to you, then post it. You can post three times a day, you can post once a day. As long as it's good to you, then you have fun, girl. And I'm like, okay. But yeah, so as like um, Cassie was saying, you can have best practice, but like also make sure what you're doing and the content that you're making is like something you actually want to go viral and something you want people to see instead of just like, oh, I had to post this video today. Here you go. Because people will be like, oh, well, she's just doing it because she has to post it. Where if it's just something genuine that you want to share, that's way more important than posting three times a day. So do you feel like you've arrived at a place where you do have like an average schedule, like once a day, or is it really just whenever you have an idea? I mean, it's hard being an artist. It's like, you got to check yourself all the time. Cause you want that success. You're like, I got a new song. It's not popping off. What do I do? Let's post three times a day. And then you burn out. So I'm at that point where I'm like checking myself and I'm like, let's go back to when you think a piece of content's important to put out there, put it out there. Let's not rush anything. Um, I did take like two weeks off of TikTok at the start of the year. And I'm like, did that affect me not posting for that long? And then so I started posting three times a day and I got some traction again. And now I'm kind of back. And But then that can, can burn you out. So now you're ba- I'm back to let's just share what I want to share and make sure it's real. And that it, when it hits people or when people see it, they actually do connect instead of just scrolling by because it's some girl who has to do something, you know? Mm-hmm. I've heard, also heard from um, a lot of artists who've been doing well on TikTok that they pretty much all pushed themselves far past the point at which they thought they had failed. Like uh, one girl was like, I will post every day for 90 days, no matter what. And for many of those days kind of went ignored or a dozen likes here, a dozen likes there. And then finally something clicked. So like, did you share that experience? And Cassie, I don't know. I know with your artists, a lot of them probably have a built-in audience, but do you have a kind of emerging artists who've had to keep going past the point where anyone would have told them to quit. 
Yeah. I mean, I work with a lot, like I have over a hundred clients, so we have oh, okay. big artists, but we have, Jeez. you know, we have baby artists, all genres and everything in between. We've been in the situation where we're launching big artists on TikTok. So they have no following. And I always tell people, you just have to show up every day and be an artist. And there, you have peaks and valleys in your career, even before TikTok you did, you just have to show up and keep doing it. And I think eventually you're going to have your moment. And you know, one artist that I worked with when she had a couple thousand Instagram followers and now she's huge. Uh, and she just won, she's on, uh, Kim Petras. She's on Sam Smith's unholy song. Oh, nice. She won a Grammy this week, but we literally worked with her since she released her, you know, her first song and she had moments that were huge. She had released songs that weren't as huge, but she just continued for the past five or six years continued to just be an artist, continued to release music. Some songs were bigger than others. Some moments of content were bigger than others, but she just kept showing up and that eventually led to her winning a Grammy on Sunday night. So I just think you have to keep going. And if you're an artist, you're not going to be happy doing another job. You're going to keep going, even if you feel like you don't want to. And I think the people who are meant to do it are going to keep going and eventually find their moment of success, but it, it's hard. You have to really stay focused on believing in yourself and not get caught up in, oh, this got last likes than the last one. Like you have to be really mentally strong and stay focused on like yourself and what you want to share because it, it can be really hard to keep going sometimes. But if you're supposed to keep going, I think you will. And I think it will eventually pay off. Sometimes it just takes longer than we all would like. Mm -hmm. Did you have yeah. that phase, Robin, like early in your TikTok usage? Um, when I started TikTok, I I was at like 5,000 Instagram followers, zero TikTok followers, you know, only well-known in my kind of community. So I, was, I wasn't expecting anything. Um, and I that's one quote that my manager always shared with me, an artist should never expect anything. Um, <laughs> which it, it's true i mean you put your soul and your heart out there and you're like why don't people listen and it's like well it's not people's job to listen it's your job to write beautiful content to share your soul and put it out there and if people listen that's amazing but it's not their job to listen it's not their job to support you so i always went into TikTok with that mindset like i'm posting for people i'm posting so that they hear music that maybe they'll relate to and that's my job. That's what I do. That's what I was here to do. And um, so I never went there like, oh, I only got 16 views or I only got 16 likes. It was always, ah, oh, but those 16 likes, I might've changed a life. Like you just keep going. And to me, I was, I already had nothing to lose. So who cares if I don't get a big number? And um, then obviously the trend came out of nowhere where I had great success. And I was like, holy cow. And it was almost so fast that my little legs couldn't keep up. And, and I tried. And then, um, and then after that, once you've had a success like that, I think it's harder now. Cause I'm like, I know what it feels like. I know the work that I put in and why is the same amount of work not working for this specific song or this specific trend. Um, and like Cassie was saying, it, like, that's, if you're an artist, you're going to keep going. Like if I only have 3000 streams, I'm going to keep going because that's my job. That's what I was here to do. And it's nobody's job to listen to my music. It's just my job to keep going and hope that it finds that niche on TikTok where when they hear that song, they're like, yep, 
this is this is my jam um but until then yeah it's it's how an artist handles the lows i think that will get them through lizzo is a great example even before she was on TikTok, i think truth hurts was out or she was grinding for like 10 years before truth hurts kind of like did the big thing and, and she was ready to go and i think she just kept going no matter what and then bada boom bada bing once sooner or later you're gonna hit gold if you just just keep swimming so that's my experience oh yeah. when you when you said uh, having trouble uh keeping up with that sort of uh, sudden success how much um i can imagine having to keep up in the comment section being a little bit exhausting yeah. so what's your perspective on that how important is that being available in the comments how, how many minutes or hours a day are you monitoring that I stuff? Mean, I'm a, I'm a person who believes in rest. I believe in like long-term success. So I will comment as much as I physically can, um, but I will never burn myself out doing it. I think it's really important to like, if you wanna keep going to make sure that you take the time for yourself to make like, are you okay? Do you need food? Do you need water? Um, I always say the world can wait. So I love responding to comments. I think it's the most fun to interact with people and I try to do it as much as I mentally can and healthily can. And then, yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing though. People take the time out of your day to message you about your music or your content. And I think it's just, it brings me joy to respond to people. It gave me anxiety for a little bit because I was like, what if I say the wrong thing and they think I'm a B word, but it's not gonna happen because I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna be nice. So I think, um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful thing and I'm lucky to have comments. So when I do get comments, I try my best to respond. Yeah. I think that, you know, on uh, something that I think people forget a lot on social media is that you have to kind of think about it as a party. So if you go to a party and you just talk about yourself and you don't respond to people complimenting you or their stories, eventually nobody is going to want to talk to you at the party. So like, it's important to share, of course, at the party, you don't want to be silent and standoffish and not vulnerable, but it's a two-way street. So I don't think you necessarily have to dedicate a certain amount of time to engaging, but you need to be, it's more about like the time you do spend, you know, I'm going to be contributing to conversations, but I'm also going to be responding to conversations that people started about me, or I'm going to go join conversations that have nothing to do with me too. You have to be properly social the same way you would in any other social space. And that's something I like to remind people of a lot. Cause I think people get so focused on, I have to create, I have to post that you can actually do a lot of really good work on social media, not posting at all, answering DMS, answering comments, engaging in supporting other people are all really valuable social media marketing tools that I think a lot of people forget about. Cause they get, they feel so much pressure about the creation and the sharing things about themselves. Yeah, commenting on other people's stuff is probably my favorite thing to do on social media. I just love watching and like, yeah, giving and I also love reading people's comments. I don't know if anybody does that on TikTok, but I go straight to the comment section. I'm like, what are we chatting about? Did they think this too? And I also yep. love seeing like my favorite creators commenting and I'm like, this is why I follow her. Like she she has the same thoughts about me on the same subject. So yeah, I think it's yeah, like you said, go to the party and have a good banter. Have good banter. Yeah. And, and also there's a lot of, I think about, you know, getting out of the artist side of it for a second, because uh, I think artists should always kind of mirror how general people use a platform to a certain extent as a, you know, a normal 
person engaging with my friends, I spend a lot of times talking to people on DM, sharing content with them, I, responding to what they posted, vice versa. And I think that it's important for artists to figure out how to incorporate, you know, some of that behind the curtain, not public conversations with, with mm-hmm. fans, because that is how they're used to communicating with, with each other. And there's a lot of really great tools for that, fortunately. Yeah. I know the the kind of the comment section banter is one thing that keeps people on the platform, which obviously TikTok loves. They want everyone to stick around and they reward content that drives up watch time and all that. So I'm curious if um, if there are other things you've sort of toyed with to keep people in the either in the comments or maybe repeat views uh, and how that might inform the content creation. Yeah. Uh, one of my clients, uh, her name's Lauren Gray, and she's really big on TikTok. She's like 50. She's awesome. She's like 54 yeah. million followers, but she's starting to release music and something she did that I, it, it was kind of like a double layer video that got, you like the loop thing and the commenting thing, like it nailed that goal. And what she did was she did like a get ready with me where she's putting on makeup and she was talking about traumas in the music industry. But in the background, in the corner, there's a bear that's moving like slightly and you it, like made people watch over and over again they're like is that bear moving and then people go in the comments to see like is the bear moving is it not why is it moving that's creepy but like almost having like two productions in one video can be kind of a really fun way to do that and I, I it, that was a fun video to watch because it didn't like get a ton of views immediately but it grew over time because as people started realizing this sort of like video Easter egg in the background, it, it, it sort of, you know, people were sharing it and, and, and talking about it. So I really, I like, you know, stuff like that. And I think it can be kind of fun stuff to, to think about as you're, you know, creating videos and potential conversation pieces to go along with them. Yeah. I mean, I know one marketing video that just went up um, for a podcast called Call Her Daddy. I don't know if anybody listens to it. And there was the whole drama with Maroon 5, if anybody's aware of it, with, you know, husband and wife drama. And Alex, uh, the host of this podcast, she likes to tease the interview. So she teased it and she's like, there's been a lot of drama around Maroon 5. I'm like, I love that band. And like, do you have anything to say? And this whole time people are in the comments trying to like, but you never saw who she was interviewing. So they go straight to the comments and everyone's like, they never showed who it was. And it could be this person and it could be this person. And she just kind of, use that like the thought that people are going to talk about it what are they going to say and she used like comments that way and then it was somebody nobody really thought was going to happen and i've seen multiple tiktoks about that tiktok um chatting about it and it's just yeah it's a cool way to do like a yeah sneaky marketing thing which i think is hilarious with the teddy bear like i want to try that now (laughs) it was it was funny it was super creepy that was it was really well executed is that like did she come up with that or did somebody like move something slowly and like did somebody tell her to do that how is she just well, a smart little marketing genius she she's a genius um in the in the bear is like a, a through line on her whole project right now so it appears mm-hmm. in a lot of places and she came up with like the character and she had the audience like her fan base named the bear um oh, after sweet. it started appearing and things and it's good it's basically makes an appearance in like every music video for the project in different ways and then appearances and tiktoks as well um, but we actually have somebody on our team who knows puppetry. So that's how we were able to like help her execute that while she was making the video. But it, it was pretty fun. Genius. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, 
I am curious what success you've had getting people off of TikTok once you've built an audience that are either onto your list or streaming on Spotify or whatever the goal is and, and how you did it, if so. Cassie's probably better at this question than me. So I, I'm working with an artist who, it's kind of scary because you don't know if the audience you're creating is going to move to other places or even like exist in real life. So there's a girl that I've been working with for about eight months now. Her name's Leanna Firestone. And she, you know, sort of blew up on TikTok, but not because she did best practices. She like barely posts, but when she does, it does well. And people really like her music and she posts when she has something to say. And that strategy seems to to work for her. But, you know, the, during COVID, she started sharing music and releasing some music and it translated to, you know, streams and that sort of thing. But when we she went to do her first show, I, I didn't know what that, that was going to look like. She hadn't seen people in in real life, but people showed up. They, um, she had several hundred people who knew all the words to all her songs and she sold merch and it worked out. Um, so I think you, you kind of have to be like sort of cognizant and sort of figure out ways to measure how your TikTok success is going. And so like with her, we sort of tested the waters by one monitoring Spotify stats really closely to see like, okay, it, when we post this link first pre-save on TikTok, how many pre-saves are we bumping per day? And we could see like a, you know, a, a straight correlation to that. So we could see that it was translating. Um, and then, you know, see in trying small venues to see if that translated. So it's like kind of small, safe steps to sort of test and confirm that what's happening here is working in other places. But I've on the flip side seen, you know, people have a lot of success on TikTok and not be able to convert that to streams and that sort of thing but I would say the people that have more problems with that are people who don't have super music focused content overall so if you're if it's clear like if you go to somebody's page and you look at the first nine videos or whatever and it's clear that that person is an artist I think you're gonna be okay translating that success to DSPs tickets that sort of thing if you're if you're have one in 12 videos are about music, you people probably like you for a different reason. And you're probably going to have a harder time with that conversion rate. Robin, since you passed on that question, did you pass because your audience just never leaves TikTok or you've just never tried to get them to leave TikTok? Maybe I just never tried to get them, but now I'm thinking about like going to streams for me. I, I don't have like a huge TikTok following. I have around 350 K um but my music does very well on TikTok. so actually um for me i think having a song already out when my song went viral was a way to do the correlation for me like they i had my you know song in the bio if you want to listen to it so when everyone was using f-150 they could easily find the song and that correlated to huge streams i think having things easy and readily available for people is super important um Especially because I see a lot of things. It's like, um, hopefully the algorithm big, brings me back when this song's out. Hopefully um, my For You page shows me this when it comes back. And I think this goes back to, I always just want to have the music that I want to have and then it'll come out. So I think just having things made super easy for people is one of the most important things. I mean, I as a person like things to be simple and easy. So if I see a song I like, I want to be able to click on the bio and go straight to Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you use. Um, 
so yeah, I had a lot of success just making it easy for people. Cool. I know we've yeah. got some time for questions, but I just had one, one closing thing to ask both of you. And that is like, did you have a surprise success video that you're like, this won't do well. And then it went crazy. And then conversely, did you have one? You're like, this is going to be the thing. And then no one watched it. Always. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think more Can so you give than us ever, examples? I think more so than ever. Um, I think TikTok is the most unpredictable of platforms in the past. I would say like on Instagram, I can usually be like, yeah, this photo is going to go or whatever. But when videos, it's you, it's really fascinating what you think is going to be huge like i've even stopped thinking about it that way because it, it's it's literally like impossible to predict um i just want to be like do it my my sort of barometer is now like do is do i think this is like good quality versus do i think people will like this because i can't control what people like um you know i'm trying to think of like oh I, this isn't like really a tiktok example but it's just i think a good example of music in general and how you can't predict a lot of this stuff Sometimes I remember when I work with Camila Cabello and I remember when her first, when Havana came out, there were four songs that A&R was debating about what was going to be released. And, the, and there was like, you know, it, there was like, Oh my God. And a couple other songs. And I would say Havana was ranked fourth out of all those songs that they released. And so they released the first two. They did Okay. And then they released Oh My God and Havana together. And I believe Oh My God actually had like better placement, better everything. But you could tell within 24 hours from data that like Havana was the song based upon DSP data, social media reaction, that sort of thing. So sometimes you just have to be prepared to collect data and put out things that you like. But it was just, I'll never forget that story. I remember like big, you know, round table meeting, everyone ranking like the priority of the songs and the the song number four that was ranked last out of all of them was the one that ended up being like her first big hit and i feel like tiktok is a very similar situation you just you know everything and all the songs were good but one just went more than the others and i think that's the same with tiktok video creation yeah i also feel like sometimes i'll like put so much effort into a video and be like day in the life and work so hard on editing it and then I'll post another one, which took me 15 seconds to film. I have no makeup on. I look like trash. I'm like, this is my song. And then that's what goes viral. Um, and it's just so hard to like, yeah, like you were saying, it, it doesn't, you can't predict it. Sometimes people like quality in a video that took forever to put together. But a lot of the time people just, again, want to see the realness of you and just an easy, oh, she did this for fun. Clearly she didn't try too hard. Um, but yeah, you can never predict what's going to go and what's not going to go. I sometimes think like this line in this song, like it has huge potential for a trend and this is the one. And then nobody uses that sound. And I'm like, oh crap. And then this other random line that I'm like, this isn't that important. And then boom, people love that line. So you can never, you can't predict the future. You can't predict people and people are unpredictable. So you just kind of, yeah, you got to look at the data and run, kind of run the way it goes. Yeah, what do we know? What do we know? Uh, um, so we got some questions coming in. Uh, here's question number one. Cassie, can you comment on TikTok heating of posts and whether you need someone heating your posts or can you truly go viral and grow major audiences via the algorithm? 
heating i i, I don't know have what you heard of it apparently no. there's like this thing now um you know how everyone's been saying like it's all unpredictable the TikTok algorithm does what it does it's just computer but apparently um there's a thing called heating where there's actually real people at TikTok who choose a post and they like put it on people's for you pages and they hand pick stuff and it's called heating a video to get it okay, more streams. i know the practice i hadn't heard that term before to be honest so can okay. you repeat the question now that i understand what that term means oh essentially it's like do you need that sort of i guess maybe it's an equivalent of an editorial boost versus just pure algorithmic growth i've seen both work um, i mean they they there is somebody there that can have magic fingers and place stuff in for you pages that that does happen especially when they're prioritizing certain hashtags and certain type of content and that can be helpful um but i've seen stuff that i'm pretty sure didn't have that and it went to or i, I i'm you know i don't work there so i don't know all those specifics but i imagine that there's almost an algorithm to get stuff to those people sometimes too who pick like what's going to get more fire and and more placement um so I don't know because I don't work there. I'm not the algorithm controller. It, it can definitely help uh, in terms of, you know, having editorial support and placement. But I think that, you know, I don't think it's all causes lost if you don't have access to that or don't get that on some of your videos. I mean, I know that with CD Baby, we're often talking to independent sort of emerging artists and a lot of the people we've interviewed who have had success on TikTok, they don't have connections. They don't have the ear of anyone there. It's just yeah. they posted stuff and eventually something took off. So I would take that to be the hopeful side that keep going. And if it's good, eventually, eventually someone or something will notice at TikTok. Exactly. Yeah. When my when my thing went viral, I had no connections. I was a waitress. Like I had no money. Um, so I wasn't paying anybody at TikTok to make something go heated. I don't know if somebody saw it and liked it and, po and pushed it, but in my perspective, I mean, I went viral with no heating. So you can too. <laughs> follow these steps. <laughs> Pay me a hundred dollars. No, just kidding. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think you could go organically viral for sure. Uh, here's a good question. With the call for banning TikTok in the US and other countries, is there a platform we should be using as plan B? I think in general, you should never have your eggs in all, one basket. There's um there, there's really big I always say actually the plate the place where you can get the most traction is a lot of times the place where people are trying less. So some places that were having sort of success and actually having the same type of content get more views than TikTok are Snapchat Spotlight, YouTube Shorts, loving some Facebook Reels moments right now. Um, and it, another place I actually kind of like that I'm starting to see a little bit of traction that I think is sort of under the radar is um, Ultimate Guitar has a like a Reels type feed. And I think that that's interesting. And it's, you know, all like music fans on that platform. But those are some places that I'm making sure we're kind of populating and feeding um, it, with with content because I think you should be wherever there's people and all those places do have people. Interesting. I know also that question is probably pretty dependent on genre, but I was just going to say totally. I'm running... I'm running an ad campaign now for a friend of mine who's an Americana singer. And, um, you know, we did TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, um, 
I think that's all we tried, but far and away, Facebook was outperforming everything else in terms of getting people off of the social platform to Spotify. So don't discount Facebook, you know, if, if it makes sense for your genre. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I actually see a lot of times on Snapchat, that'll get the biggest uh, merchandise click through. If I'm like selling merch, that'll be the one that people click through the most on and buy the most merch. So, it, and that's a lot of times with Gen Z audience, but Snapchat has a lot of power. And I think a lot of people underutilize it. Yeah. And like Instagram, I find even um, the reels, like I'll post almost the same video to Instagram or TikTok. And sometimes Instagram, it'll be the place to blow up. So I think don't discount reels. But it's very interesting to hear. I've also heard Pinterest is an interesting place to put your shorts. Yeah. And they they have, um you can actually get like Pinterest certified, um, which I thought we had our staff do it, which I thought was kind of fun. But Pinterest is cool. You know, if it makes sense for you, I don't think it makes sense for everyone. But Pinterest has a, a huge audience and it's had a resurgence with Gen Z. I know like Lauren Gray, for example, she uses Pinterest for everything, just like outside of her career, just decorating clothes, that sort of thing. So it's it's a place where people are. So it can be a place where you can reach people. So I, I love Pinterest because it's kind of a, again, one of those other sort of pockets that a lot of people underutilize. Oh, yeah. just re while we're talking about multiple platforms, do y'all have like a priority place you create the content and then you repost elsewhere? Like, does it start on TikTok and then you share to Reels or wherever else? Um, for me, I I feel like each platform is unique in its own way. Um, when it comes to promoting my music, I definitely promote it differently on TikTok than I do on Instagram. Um, I feel like I don't know. I just maybe it's because I'm older than gen z that i'm just like this is instagram content this is tiktok content but um i definitely reuse some videos or things that i think are beautiful i find um like my more curated stuff does better on instagram than it does on tiktok so tiktok i try to be more personality wise and you can get you know different kind of content from me depending on the platform you go on so if you go on my tiktok you're not going to see just the same thing that you saw on instagram which i think keeps it fresh for people and they can see me in a bunch of different lights, but I know people do reuse a lot of content that they see both places. And I think it could work both ways. And another thing I I do and a lot of my team members do is we'll edit, I think we call it like the base video, but we'll edit something like yeah. it, even in like InShot and then sort of do the overlays in terms of text or other things custom to each platform. So it feels a little more native there, but. I don't know if you have to go through that much effort. I've seen a lot of stuff created on TikTok do really well on Instagram Reels, for example. And I don't think that, you know, it wasn't custom, it wasn't custom texts from Facebook. It was the text that they made from TikTok. So I don't, I don't think it matters too much. Uh, yeah. We got one last question that's about posting. Uh, why not automate the content and scheduling for TikTok? Any thoughts on that? I don't trust scheduling tools. I have trust issues. Um, Same. I have a whole song about it. <laughs> I mean, but, but in all, it, you know, I, I'm okay with, oh, yeah, I've even had issues with scheduling tools made by the platforms though. I've just been doing this a long time and I've seen stuff go when it's not supposed to. I've seen fans be able to find something that was loaded in the back end of scheduling before it was supposed to. 
I've seen people hack passwords because you used an outside tool and that tool had a security breach and they're able to pull your password and hack to other stuff. So I get pretty paranoid about that. And the other point I'll sort of make to that is the, the goal of an app is to have people on the app and spending time on the app and using the app and collecting minutes people are using on the app. So I believe that I don't have any evidence of this other than my beliefs and thoughts and, of logic, but I believe that you are probably more likely to be rewarded for spending time in the app and posting within it versus scheduling things because it contributes to their goal of having more usage time and more time to sell you ads. So I just, I, I, I'm scared of scheduling tools for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. I also have trust issues with scheduling tools. Um, I'm scared a link won't be the correct link or it'll get mixed up or I'll put the wrong time, like a human error. Um, so like if I ever have like a major post, like I just released a song, I'm staying up till midnight and I'm posting it at midnight and no one can stop me. My label stays up with me and, and does it all with me. Um, so yeah, no, I, I just don't trust it. And you had great reasons not to trust it. I just don't trust it because I don't know. It's a weird feeling in my gut, but you have like great no, reasons. I've, I've like been hacking. burned. Yeah, you've yeah. been burned. Okay, great. Like, I remember TwitPic. That TwitPic destroyed me many times. Uh, so I just, yeah. I gave up on it. Yeah, no, something in my gut. I was like, mm, something's going to go wrong. So I'm just going to not. <laughs> uh, I thought of one last question I was curious about it, just to drum up some controversy and gossip. Have either <laughs> of you encountered something similar to that Halsey story where like, a label or some sort of industry person said like, no, we will not do whatever the opportunity is until we see such and such metric on TikTok. I'm very lucky that my label has never done that to me. Um, I really enjoy social media. So they've never like forced me to do anything or post anything. Again, I've had like an unreleased song, like get 4.1 million views and like, um, like half a million likes, but they've never been like yep we got to do that song now we got to jump on it they were actually like ah like it's great that it went viral but i don't know if it's um the story you want to tell as an artist so they've never ever said yes or no to an opportunity just because of virality they at least my label personally has very believed in like you're an artist you know what you're doing we're going to trust you and follow you um but yeah i've heard the horror stories the other way around like you can't release this song until it has this many pre-saves or unless it's another marketing skill i don't know but i personally have never experienced that there are good labels out there who are willing to let you do your thing <laughs> i unfortunately have seen it happen more times than i wish i i wish it was a myth that rarely happened but it it does and um labels control a lot of things like that in terms of release schedules in terms of i the the thing i'm dealing with a lot is a lot of artists are being forced to release eps when they recorded an album um and you know i think that's sort of unfortunate and it's because you know of sort of you know reasons directly and indirectly related to tiktok but i'm definitely seeing a lot of that happened and um i i feel bad for artists who are in that situation well <laughs> that would just end it on a downer note <laughs> <laughs> it's sad but um no. hopefully you know i hopefully halsey brought some awareness to that and 
you know, made a lot of labels rethink that strategy. Yeah. And at the very least, lots of other notable artists came out and said, yeah, deal with that too. It's bullshit. So it's nice. There was some camaraderie out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, how are we doing on time? Are we? It's Zach? two minutes. Time to wrap. Wrap. Okay. Time to wrap. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for having uh, us all. All right. So that does it for another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. And if you enjoyed these conversations that we share here on the podcast, then I think you would really love coming to the Indie Weekly webinars. Throughout the year, we're having them every Tuesday. They're always at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That's like New York or Toronto time. And it's all about high-level conversations, bringing in experts from all facets of the music and related industries to share their experiences, best practices, tips, advice, really actionable advice with artists. It's all about helping artists boost their own careers, but it's also about community, connecting with each other, connecting with the guests, connecting with Daryl Herz, uh, who always hosts. And best of all, it's free. So go to IndieWeek.com, hit the Indie Weekly tab at the top of the page and see what's coming up. think you'd really enjoy it. Certainly worth your time. We'd love to see you there. And last but certainly not least, before we go, just one more shout out and thank you to our wonderful sponsors and funders. Uh, those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, the SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlantic Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. So without the support of all of them, us here at Indie Week, we couldn't do what we do to help out and work for the music community. So big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good one.